The podcast goes on with special guest host Joe Buck in for John Oran. Steps into it, passes, caught, digs, sideline, touchdown, unbelievable, Vikings win it! And I'm back, the Marshan and Orient Sports Media Podcast. I'm Andrew Marshan, sports media columnist for the New York Post, and John Orian's off covering hockey. So we have a special guest host. That's Joe Buck. Joe, they really appreciate you uh, doing this. Uh, we're both a little under the weather, so if you listen to this podcast, wash your hands after you're done. Uh, <laughs> but Joe, thanks uh, for being a gamer and, and, and still doing it. Yeah, I have a lot of questions about John, uh, but we'll just leave that for another day. He's, uh, I mean, I'm covering football, but I'm here. And, and I also feel like we're breaking all kinds of rules that – you know, I'm behind right now the Wizards curtain where I'm on the podcast as a supposed guest host Yes, on a podcast that is critical of the business that I call my own. So if people are willing to set that all aside, I'm happy to be as honest and as entertaining as my future employment uh opportunities will allow all right sounds good well here's the first question if you want the full-time job do you know who chris ripley is uh believe it or not i do <laughs> yes i do isn't that the sinclair guy yes yes all right so you are eligible to uh to possibly get the full-time that's a gig. low bar that you've set uh yeah, to, well, it's I... like he it's like john tudor used to say when the dugout was crowded with media in the postseason what do you what do you need to get a a media pass around here. Driver's license? I mean, that's not really asking a whole lot, but okay. Thank you. All right, well, I we want to start there. Right, this, so I get it all in. Everyone knows who Joe Buck is, but Derek Volner, uh, ESPN's NFL PR guru, he sent this over to me. Texans and Colts this Saturday. Um, so uh, you'll be there for that, Joe. Wild card uh, the following week on Monday Night Football, second year in a row. And this year, a divisional round playoff game for ESPN with you and Troy Aikman and Lisa Salters on the call the second week of the playoffs. So a lot going on, but, um, and then in terms of the podcast for everybody, uh, what's the future with John and me, uh, that's going to be figured out. Um, I don't know when, how long, but, uh, you know, obviously John left uh, for puck where he's actually going to be covering business. Um, and you see ads on Twitter already for that, uh, for, for John. So, so good for John, but we don't know what the future is exactly, but we do know, uh, you didn't come to listen about that. You came to know who's up and who's down. Who's up, who's down. All right, Joe, I'm going to take it first. My who's up is football. It's dominating in every which way. First off, NFL ratings are bonkers. Secondly, the college football playoffs this past weekend, uh, great games. The numbers are going to be unbelievable. And then ESPN and Fox uh, are partnering now with the XFL and USFL for the UFL, um, the United Football League, giving the Spring League a chance to really be successful because two leagues really weren't going to work. Uh, but overall, the theme here is just football. It just doesn't end. Uh, NFL kind of has taken over Christmas from the NBA, outrated them uh, tremendously. You know, with next year, people pointing to Christmas being on Wednesday. Does the NFL uh, take a year off 
or do they try to figure out a way to have some Wednesday games on Christmas Day and make it that they own that uh, holiday the same way that they own Thanksgiving? So that's my who's up football. So now I do a who's up? Now you're who's up. Okay, and I'm a, I'm an avid listener of this podcast, so I should know that. This is when John jumps in. Yes. Okay. Yes, but you know the rhythms of broadcasting I know are new to you. So. Yeah. No, I'm not used yeah. to another new partner. I mean, I've been with Aikman for 22 years, and now I'm now I'm breaking in, Andrew. Uh, I'm going to play to the home team, and I'm going to say who's up is Josh Krulowitz. This is his first week of a new job. He takes over Chris LaPlaca, longtime Machiavellian Jimmy Patero in Dark Corners PR guy for ESPN, has retired. Josh Krulowitz. Uh, part of the uh, the tandem now that, that Troy and I deal with at ESPN with Derek Volner, who you already mentioned, this is his time to shine. And, and I am putting pressure on him by being on this podcast right out of the gate to see if he can handle the new gig. And uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. The jury's out. Uh, but I wish him all the best and uh, couldn't go to a better guy. All right. So Krulowitz is uh, Joe Buck's who's up. My who's down is Chris Fowler, uh, who called the semifinals of the college football uh, championship the other day. Uh, and we'll call the championship next week uh, when it's Michigan versus the University of Washington. Why does Fowler get it? This call at the end of the game. Uh, let's take a listen. Final call of Michigan's win um, over Alabama. Game on the line. It's Williams in motion. Low snap. Melrose stopped. Michigan makes a stand and comes up with a milestone playoff victory. All right, Joe, my issue with the call um, was you need to tell me where they're going. So what does this play mean? Uh, Michigan uh, advanced to the national championship. I want that in the call. He did lay out a little bit, which was good. You want to hear the crowd, but I also want to hear what this means. And to make that call memorable, my problem overall with Fowler a lot of times is a lot of mistakes and just that big time feel, uh, I think sometimes is missing with Fowler's calls. Okay. Now I'm going to go on my little side of this and, and I'm going to say truthfully, as I stare into the camera on my, uh, on my desktop here, I swear to God on my kids, the, the only things that I hold near and dear and true in my heart that I watched the end of that game and I, I listened to that call and I, I loved it. Um, mainly because he stated what he stated. He did it in a way that was, I thought, authoritative. And then, like you said, he laid out. Um, I understand what you're saying with regard to, you know, now you need to say that they're going to the championship game. I understand that part. But I, I know from having sat in that chair that there's, at least for me, there's a clock that's in my head. And I feel like, how long am I going to go before that layout? And sometimes you go down a path and you feel like, I'm doing too much. I'm doing too much. There's time to come back and say the Michigan Wolverines are going to the national championship game. And if you've watched, I think, that night, you know that the winner of that game is going to the championship game. So, you know, you think about the Minneapolis miracle that that I was fortunate enough to stand there and call. 
I didn't end that with, and now the Vikings are going to the championship game at Philadelphia. I, I think you can leave some things out and and get there right after the fact. Um, I don't know what followed. I saw the last call. I've got five-year-olds pulling on me. But I did watch that, and I thought I thought they did a, a really nice job, um, really everything I saw. But I, I thought in particular, I thought that call was really good. So my point in these calls is that when you're doing the national championship or for you, you're doing Monday Night Football, that's the highest grade. There's no curve for, for those calls. Um, so I think in those roles, those top roles, there's an expectation. Um, and so I think milestone, the use of that word, it's not really a milestone victory. I mean, I guess in some regards, milestone victory to me is winning like your 300th game or your 299th game in, in baseball as a pitcher. Um, that'd be more of a milestone. So those words, again, that's a little nitpicky. I think overall, um, I think Fowler uh, makes some mistakes during these broadcasts. And Herb Street's much better on college than he is on the NFL. Uh, a lot more energy. Uh, he's talked about it, that the energy of those games, he finds you know more than Thursday night football. Um, and so that's better. Uh, but for me, uh, Chris Fowler gets my who's down. Now now I'm interested, since you, you've came to play, Um well, I'm Joe here. Brooks I mean, if I'm going to be here, I'm I'm playing the game. I mean, right. I've already failed at Celebrity Wheel of Fortune. I've already <laughs> failed at Celebrity Family Feud grotesquely to the point where my kids didn't want to talk to me um, after that I went against what my daughters wanted to say for the uh, the steal. And their answer was right. My answer was wrong. Oliver Hudson's family goes to the fast money thing at the end or whatever that's called. And we're going home. I'm just thinking about their reaction. If it was the Marshan and Buck sports media podcast, I mean, the, how much celebration would be going on in the Buck family? There's episode. a lot right now. You can't hear it right now, but the kids are going absolutely crazy. that dad is finally on this thing as, yeah. as a quasi host um, there you go. seated and, and, and sitting right, right behind you. My down is David Tepper. Um, and you know, with the drink thing in the luxury suite, if you didn't see it, uh, his team was losing to the Jaguars and kind of tossed a drink. I, I think it's dramatic to say that he just, you know, like threw an entire drink on somebody. But but it got headlines because, of course, somebody had it on video. And I know the frustration is through the roof. But I can only tell you, David Tepper, who I, I don't think I've ever met, and I admire all that he's done in business, how many times I have been in a broadcast booth with people down in front of me yelling stuff to me that one time I was in Green Bay where I seemed to get it more than pretty much anywhere. And it got so bad, some woman yelling stuff at me that was so nasty that my wife, who was in the booth, engaged with that person. And I thought, there but for a video documentation of this exchange with my wife yelling down at some woman in the stands is like the end of my career. Um, I, I think you have to be above that. And, and I think you have to know that you're going to get it. You're in the other team's house. Fans are going to be getting on you. You have to laugh it off. And, and I know it's been frustrating and it's been through, you know, a head coach every five weeks, it feels like, but you can't show it. And, and so I was surprised. I read today that he may be fined. Um, and, and I, you know, it's just not a good look 
for somebody in that position. Now, I say this, and someday I'll probably lose my mind and throw something at somebody when they're yelling at me at the end of my career. And I'm like, yeah, I'm tired of hearing you people yell at me. But I, I think you have to know, you have to expect that going in. And if if need be, have somebody there to go, David, David, don't do it. And and just be above it and, and go home. No, no doubt about it. Um, that's a that's a good who's down. All right, let's move to the topics. Um, and we'll go. You know, another owner um, who has made a lot of news over the years is Jerry Jones, the Cowboys owner. Uh, you were there last Monday, uh, where your former colleague Jimmy Johnson uh, was inducted into the Ring of Honor, um, and you got to catch up with a bunch of Fox people who were down there. How about him, Cowboys? for uh, the ceremony, uh, including their CEO, Eric Shanks, and the whole Fox crew, Terry Bradshaw and company. Um, what was that like for you? It was really nice. Um, I, I don't know that if it wasn't, I would say it, especially on this podcast. But, you know, Shanks and I texted yesterday. Um, I said, hey, man, it was great to see you and the crew. And he said it was great to see you and Troy. And and it it just felt it felt good it felt i don't know i don't want to say cathartic but you know i spent i I spent 20 plus years with basically 28 years with with that group and the pregame guys and i consider myself very close with terry bradshaw very close with howie long stray hands become a become a good friend menifee and i are good buddies glazer shanks i hope i'm not leaving anybody out the point is it, it was just it felt like family and it was like seeing the relatives come back at at a holiday and and it was all positive so um it was great to be able to go over there see them watch that happen know how touched jimmy was and then go back and do my job and go back and and call monday night football on a saturday night and call this incredible game and get this huge rating and this number it just it had a really good feel to it but i i was so proud of jimmy um and and what he did at halftime i think he gave everybody a glimpse of exactly how special of a speaker he is and how he can rally people so it it was uh it was a really nice night and i'm glad it happened that way and to to shed a little light on it it's kind of become public knowledge but troy was very much involved in in making sure that that happened and i think once troy was involved I think then it became it started getting funneled toward that game on ABC ESPN so that Troy could be there and that Jimmy wasn't working and he could be there with the guys and relaxed and have fun and actually enjoy being at the game. And and I thought it was handled just perfectly by the Cowboys and 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 I was glad to see those guys. Yeah, I think people might have forgotten too. You were the host of the pregame show after James Brown went to CBS for that one year, they traveled everywhere. You were, what was that? Oh, six. Oh, six. Was that good or bad? What was that experience for you? Well, I love, I love doing that stuff. I learned a lot about hosting, which I hadn't really done much of prior to that. And and I think that served me going through the the last few years, but I, I just thinking back on it, but I, it, it doesn't really work that well in the NFL. It's not like doing college game day where you're having people lined up there two hours before you show up, two hours before you go on the air. 
there were some spots that were really good. Philly was good. Um, New England, I think, was a good one. But for the most part, you were almost drumming up people to come out there and have some atmosphere. And it didn't work really in the NFL when the game was a 425 game and you're there doing the pregame show prior to the early games. And to be honest with you, Terry, Howie, Jimmy were pissed that because I was hosting it, they had to kind of leave the home to LA, LA to home thing. They were now going home to different game sites. Uh, it, it took away a lot of their their comforts and their usual situation. So it was all good. We had a blast, but it just it just doesn't really work week to week, you know, on a week four game in Cleveland. It, it just doesn't really work. Well, Cleveland might work. Week four game in Jacksonville. Gotcha. I remember telling Dan Bell, Fox Sports PR guy back then, yeah, this isn't going to work. We used to argue about it. I think I was right. You were right. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, anyways, talk about Troy having a big say in getting Jimmy um, to that Ring of Honor. Um, I know when you left Fox, you know, working with Troy was very important. You know, obviously, you both left together. Uh, why? What should people understand about when you work with somebody for twenty years, twenty plus years? Um, what does that do in terms of what you, how you can act on the air and when you're doing games? Yeah, I, it really came full circle to me this past Saturday night when Troy was doing all that stuff because I was happy for him and I was proud of what he had done, not just as the Cowboys quarterback, but as a leader there and, and kind of, you know, for two people, he came to the Cowboys when he was a young man. I mean, basically a kid. And now he's there bridging gaps and closing circles, as those guys like to say this past weekend. And and I was proud of the maturity and, and what he meant to those two men finally getting back together here as an 81-year-old person in Jerry and an 80-year-old person in Jimmy. It's time to put all that past stuff to bed and put Jimmy where he belongs and honor Jerry for what he pushed into the middle of the table and put up to buy the Cowboys back in 1989. Um, there's a lot to celebrate there. And so they finally got to do it. And and now when I watch Troy interact with all that, you know, he's just become like a brother. And I think on the air, it plays out in that I can give him trouble. He can give me trouble. There's really no walls there anymore. And, and I can say stuff to him. You know, I can grab the back of his coat that was too big when we're on camera and you know, get a laugh out of him. Um, you know, as I've told you before, there's subtle things that happen during the course of a broadcast. I don't ever really look at him, but if I want him to hear me say something that I know he's going to have a reaction off of because I know where his mind is during the game or what he wants to talk about, I make sure he's not in talk back talking to our producer. I grab him by the arm and I say, here, here's where I'm going to say something and I know you're going to have something off of it that builds on our on-air chemistry. So there's there's things that if I were doing that with Olsen, I don't know that I'd grab him. Or if I was doing that with Tom Brady, you know, year one, I don't know that I'd grab him. I, I think there's a little bit of hesitance there uh, where you don't really want to go there. Troy is just like, you know, my best friend. And, and there's no like, hey, man, when you – grab me by the arm what the hell was that it's it's he knows i'm on his team and i know he's on mine yeah it makes it easier for you you know take us back and i don't want to overdo it with this stuff like i told you it's a little bit different podcasts are trying to do so i don't want to you know go too much into all this stuff but 
I do have one couple, two questions here. Number one, before you left for ESPN, did you ever come close to leaving Fox prior to that? No, um, I had had a, a, a meeting with ESPN years ago and John Skipper. Um, I had had a meeting years ago with Dick Ebersole. Um, now where, where those meetings fit, like I have friends that remember exactly where they remember what they were wearing. I don't, I can't tell I can't even almost ballpark when these times were that I met with them, but I know I met with them. Okay. Uh, the skipper was like a cup of coffee thing in Manhattan. And then the Ebersol one was down in the basement of some restaurant that he loves where nobody would really see us. And I was there with my ex-wife, Ann, and, um, and we met with him. But, you know, Fox was just too good to leave. I mean, I, I had everything that, that I ever wanted and, and more, and I'm the luckiest guy in the world, but it was like, am I really going to leave this place that can, you know, guarantee me the World Series? And then eventually, I, I you know, whatever was happening at that point in my life, doing the main game and in the NFL and doing a Super Bowl every three years. It just, it was too good of a place and I was too entrenched and I had too many great friends there that, you know, I just didn't want to leave. I think to answer your next question is why did you finally leave? I I think after 28 years and at this stage in my life, a change was good for everybody. It was good for Fox. I think Fox is happy with who they have. Um, And, and I know that ESPN is happy with who they have. And I know Troy and I are happy to be there. So it, it worked out. It doesn't always happen that way, but it was time. It was time. And, and as you know, Andrew, I talked to David Hill, who was a mentor to me and, and, and somebody whose opinion I really trust. And I thought he would say, are you nuts? You can't leave Fox. All that you've done there, all that you've built, all the relationships. He said, you got to go. You got to go and be nervous again. You got to go and meet new people, see different ways of doing things and grow. And, and, and he was right about that. He's, he's rarely wrong. And, uh, and, and I'm glad he told me that because I'm, I'm glad I made the move. And you probably were going to stop doing baseball pretty soon anyway. Right. I was, I mean, you know, and, and now I get on Twitter and people are like, why don't you do baseball anymore? And come back. I'm like, where the hell were you for the last 25 years? But, um, I, I, I love baseball is in my DNA. That's how I grew up. I was in the Bush stadium every night with my dad and playing stickball with John Simmons, Ted Simmons kid and run around the insides of the ballpark and being in the broadcast booth and being around the team. I, I, it, it is as much a part of me as anything in my life family. It, it's, that's what it is to me. But I think as far as going and doing the World Series, I did 24 of them. And had I done 25 or 26 or 28, I, I think at some point it's time for a new voice. Doesn't mean I didn't love every minute of it, but it means I, I think I, I, I had exhausted, you know, nobody has ever done that many as a play-by-play guy. And and it was time for somebody else's voice and mind to get to it. And the game's evolved, and we we could get into that on a different podcast, but you know, I, I feel like I'm proud of what I did. I wouldn't change it or switch it for anything, but it was time to to just move on and let somebody else get a chance at it. Well, I think the thing that people don't necessarily always understand, especially if you're not doing a team, if you're not doing it regularly, that it's actually kind of a lot more work because in in some regards, just because you have to keep up with baseball 
there's a lot of teams and obviously with the games, the teams that you're focused on, you know, there's, you can focus on the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, the Astros, but, but still you need to know about, it. you need to follow it. No it's doubt. not just the one day a week and it's long, you know, regardless. And I think, you know, after 24 uh, world series, I could see why, you know what, I've done it. I don't necessarily need to do it again. Yeah. And, and I think, that's very true. And what I do miss, and this is what gets the awful announcing headlines, is when somebody says, you know, will you ever do it again? If if the Cardinals said, you know, I'm, I'm talking about in the future, and they've already said it, and I said no. But it's like, hey, if I want to do a handful of games, that's great, but I'm also infringing upon somebody else's job, and I'm aware of that. It's not like, hey, it's Joe Buck, of course he's – let him do whatever he wants. I hate that. Like if, and if it's my job, I'm like, get him out of here. So do I miss it? I miss the local stuff. That's where I started. That's what I saw my dad do every day. I miss getting on the team bus, knowing the team's good, getting off the team bus, going into the stadium and going, it's going to be a fun night tonight. Cause we've got pitcher X going against whoever the Dodgers and, it's going to be a hell of a game. We're going to have fun and I can do what I want on the air cuz you know, we don't have the we don't have the the critics that that typically exist when you do, you know, a national game. There there's some freeing element to that. That's the kind of stuff I miss now at this stage of my life. Not not the high profile stuff. I've I've done I've done all that. Yeah, I think also baseball nationally it's just very hard to be popular if you will because people like their local broadcasters and their local broadcasters in most cases know more than the national guys 100%. about the team and they they're geared towards them and i mean so, I, I go to san francisco and you've got kuiper and kruko and john miller i mean you've got hall of fame announcers that are taking you through the entire season and they know every little bit and they've been there for that triple you know, bases clearing triple that won a game in the eleventh inning. That, and and they were there with you, and they're rooting with you, and and you know where their allegiance is, and and they know where yours is, and there's a great relationship. It's a beautiful thing in baseball that doesn't really exist anywhere else. Maybe in hockey, um, and and I I felt that way when the Blues won the Stanley Cup, and Doc Emmerich was amazing at what he did. Kenny Albert is a great friend of mine. But you watch the game and you go, man, I've been listening to John Kelly and Darren Pang all year long. And now the game's game seven of the Stanley Cup finals. And, you know, you, you don't necessarily want the 50-50 split and how great the Bruins are. I just want to hear the Blues and I want to hear their side of it. So all the the social media, quote unquote, hate and all that stuff, I understand it. And, and I agree with it to a certain degree. Uh, but. I still have to go do my job. And, and that's, that's a hard thing for somebody like me that grew up wanting to please everybody around him and make everybody their friend. And then you go, oh, you know, why do they hate you so much on, well, they hate me because I'm not rooting with them. That's why. And you, know, you used to have to be intelligent enough to understand that. Yeah. I mean, you also hated the Yankees. Of course. Um, I mean, they're them. so bad for national TV. The Let me tell you, if you want one team out of there fast, it's the Yankees. Yeah. Um, I, that's always weird with that stuff. Um, in terms of, I think, you know, all of us broadcasters, reporters, you just, you're rooting for a good game. That's what you really want. That's ultimately, well, reporters kind of don't ring on deadline. So we sort of want it to be eight one so you can get your story in right. uh, without a sweat. But, um, 
that's another story. You want good games and long series. And beyond that, who wins and loses, it, it just doesn't really matter. So Tom Brady, I know you've said at some points that you weren't sure if he was going to do it, I think you said. Um, yeah. And then I have it up now at 77% on the Brady meter, uh, which gets a lot of attention from people. That's trademark, Joe, so don't try to use that yeah. one. Yeah, that is trademark infringement. So I think he's going to do it. I've heard, you know, I think he's he's in there and he's uh, very, we can see on social media, he's been critical. What do you what do you think that's going to be like when when Brady's in the booth? Well, I'm I think you know when when you've asked me when we've done columns and you've you've asked me I my my bottom line is I hope he does it because I think it'll be I think it'll be fascinating and you know you're talking about and this is Aikman talking this these are quarterbacks to go he's the best of all time so I'll defer to the Aikmans of the world and Bradshaws of the world and those guys that go. He's the best of all time. So I want to hear what he has to say. And I want to hear how he puts his mind to doing games. Um, I read the Steve Serby Q&A with Bob Costas where Costas talked about, you know, I, I think Fox should use him in the studio. And I understand that on on one hand. But on the other, when you have somebody with with that kind of resume, that can put his thoughts and his mind to play after play after play in real time, that has a chance of being really, really special. Now, the, the, the other side of that is it's a new job, and it's a new way of thinking about a game. And you, you, you can't just walk in and expect to, you know, he's obviously brilliant. He's great. He's beyond a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's, I, I think, respected, well-respected, as respected as anybody's ever been in any sport. But now you have to, you have to get the mechanics of it, and and it's a it's a new situation for him. And and I, I'm I'm anxious to see how he does with all that. I know that he's talked to Troy about it. He's talked to intermediaries about maybe getting with me and having me help him, which I'm totally open to doing and would love to do. But it, it's there's new there's new things you got to think about, and like Troy says, knowing football is about fourth on the list. It's what are you looking at? How are you going to present it? How fast can you do it? Can you do it before the next snap? So there have been guys that seem to be computer made to do, you know, analysis of an NFL or college game that haven't been so great, and and so I. I I would never bet against the man. I I hope to God he does it. I think it'll be fascinating. I think he'll be great, but you still got to go do it. And and that's kind of where I come down on all that. Yeah, and I think something that sometimes, and I don't know how Brady, you know, what his feelings are. I know he's studying this season, but a lot of these guys who play, especially at the level that he played at, they don't really watch the broadcast like obviously like I, like a dork like me, you know, watching for the broadcasters, but they don't really notice it. And so if you don't know the rhythms of it, um, I think is what you're getting at. Um, I think that's really where he's going to have to learn and try to figure it out. And sometimes, because I think when Romo came on, why he was such a sensation um, at first uh, was because of how relaxed he was on air and kind of just did it his way, but it worked. I think for Brady, the scrutiny will be their first game First, if they do a preseason game or two, uh, first preseason game or two, but then the regular season, uh, you know, I'm sure I'll be writing a column off that first game, which 
you could argue is not fair, but you're Tom Brady and you're doing a broadcast and that's how it's going to be. You're going to be evaluated, um, you know, right away. Yeah, no, I, I agree with, I agree with that. And I agree with your point about Romo. I, I think the best thing about Romo, Tony, when he started and I said this and, and Romo was at my wedding. I mean, I known Romo for a long time. Um, the amazing thing to me about Tony was when he started, it sounded like he had never listened to anybody else do a broadcast. And because of that, he did it with his own kind of rhythm that hit at different points. And and I think that is what was so appealing. It's like, man, this is new. And now he's just off the field. So he's seeing things like a quarterback and he's seeing things, you know, where he would go with the ball. And he's making prognostications. He's making his guesses as to where, you know, Tom Brady's going to throw the ball in that AFC championship game. I think it was against Kansas City, maybe. Um, and it was it was fascinating. But I thought that was what was so interesting, that it was like, he's not trying to sound like Madden. He's not trying to sound like Troy. He's not trying to sound like Chris. He's not trying. He's doing it his own way. And I think people were like, Man, it's it's nice to have somebody come in and not sound like everybody else, but just have a different name. And and so then the question is, where's Brady's? What's his style going to be? And and you know, like you brought up the perfect word. It's rhythm. How fast does he get in a rhythm with Kevin? What does that rhythm produce? And what's his voice going to be? Is he going to be critical? Is he going? Everybody's going to be great. Is he? You know. So I he has to settle into all that. And like you said, you're going to be writing a column off the first game he does, which I would agree with you isn't fair, but it's Tom Brady and it's, you know, everything, all the expectations, but it takes time to settle in. Look at Conan O'Brien, that first week of shows. Look at Jimmy Fallon, that first week of shows. Look at Joe Buck live with Artie Lang and the first few shows. <laughs> it's hard to just, just jump in like you're pulling out of your driveway onto the freeway. You, you got to get onto surface roads and kind of get the feel of the car and then take it out there or us doing golf, the same thing. You know, it's like, who the hell? Or why is Joe Buck doing golf? Blah, blah, blah. Why is Fox doing it? It takes a minute to figure out what the hell you're doing. And then you get to see how good you are. And, and, you know, Brady, it, there's going to be a lot of expectation and I hope that people give him grace and the the ability to have some time to settle in. Well, and that's where, you know, I think there's too much attention on social media. Uh, but I do think social media is very demanding right away um, how you do. And it's sort of um, you can come back, but, you know, it, it takes a little bit. If you come out strong, I think Jason Witten asked Roma what his advice was to him when he started. He said, start strong. <laughs> um, which wasn't really, I mean, I don't know. It didn't, and obviously that didn't work out for Jason Witten, who really could, and maybe still could, had a long career as a broadcaster, but was put in a really bad situation. Yeah. I mean, he was not only was it his first go, but he was with another analyst, which I don't care who you are. It's hard to have two analysts, you know, where do we go starting and stopping? Are you taking the defensive play, big play down the field? Who's going first? And the analyst wasn't in the booth with him. He was down on a booger mobile or whatever. It was hard. It was hard for both. It was really, it was a tough situation for both guys. So I agree with you. I don't think we have any idea. I don't think we have any idea if Drew Brees is good. I mean, you, 
you have to have time and, and it's the situation you're put into. I, I would, I'd go to bat for all those guys. I'd go to bat for Drew Brees. I'd go to bat for, for uh, Jason Witten. I, I think, you know, in the right situation, we don't know how good he would be. And it's kind of, it's a shame that whether it's social media or whatever it is that just chews people up and spits them out. Um, you know, I, I, and I just think it's woefully unfair because we we just they never get a chance to to see what they can do. And Drew Brees' career, I mean, he did one year with NBC, right, and uh, did Notre Dame. If he plays one more season, comes out the year where everything went down with you leaving Fox for ESPN and Troy leaving, and then Amazon coming in. He probably gets that Amazon job, I'd say, um, because at that point, he'd be the obvious one. Al Michaels would be like, oh, it's Drew Brees Hall of Famer instead of he had a one year where he wasn't good. And then maybe he works with Al on Thursday night, probably making 15 to 20 million dollars a year and has a three to five year contract. And, and, that and just gets to play year. it out and gets yeah. to gets to grow. And who knows what these people are being told when they get a chance to go in the booth. Sometimes, and, and I don't know the situation, I have no idea who even the producers and directors were. For him, for uh, for Witten, for, you know, I don't know. But it's what kind of tutelage are you getting? And and are you having somebody go, no, here's how we're going to do it. You know, and, and sometimes these guys, I know from talking to Troy, when, when we first got together, we were doing games. He said, the hardest thing for me is not knowing if I won or lost that day. And if you want to go to social media and figure out if you won or lost, let me tell you, you're lost because everybody's mad and they think you suck. But these guys are used to having a quarterback's coach, an offensive coordinator, a head coach, people going, here's how we're going to do it. This situation is going to arise. We're going to attack it this way. And, And I think a lot of times they're just left alone and it's like, just kind of figure it out. You're smart. You're handsome. You know the game. You're a Hall of Famer. Go. Just go. And it's it's almost like when Fox put Lou Pinella with us in the booth one year in the, in the ALCS. And I'm with Tim and Lou. And before the game, I'm like, all right, Lou, you got any questions? He's like, yeah, what's this? And it's like the box in front of him with the button for the talk back. I said, oh, that's the talk back. What's that mean? Well, you hit that button and you talk to the producer. Who's the producer? Oh, that's, you know, Mike Weissman. We just met him. Okay, great. But that's where they're started. It's just a new language. So you, again, I mean, I just don't know how much tutelage they got and and how much hands-on help they received. And they were just thrown in the deep end. So I, I'd love to see all those guys get another chance. All right, Joe, let's finish it up. Al Michaels, I reported a couple of weeks ago, um, is not going to be doing a playoff game for NBC. Um, this year he had, he did one last year. Um, so the, the feeling, the question I had for you is, you know, obviously, um, your dad had a long career, um, broadcast for a really long time. Um, you've now broadcast for a long time, even though you're still a relatively young person in your fifties. Um, but you've been doing it a long time and you're kind of in that sphere where Al is and Joe and, and your dad, Jack Buck. Um, how do you look at it? You know, at Al, he's 79, he's doing Amazon games, um, and then NBC this year, they decided not to have him do the playoff game. What's your opinion on all that and what went Well, down? first of all, he blows me away that at 79, he's he's phenomenal still. Um, and, 
you know, I, I, I can guarantee you at 79, please save this tape because I will not be doing games. I, I hope to be here walking the planet, but I will not, or sitting on the planet somewhere, but I will not be doing games. Um, he's the best to ever do it. My question is this to you, and I don't know if you can answer this, but it shapes my answer. And, and I have a lot of scar tissue with this because of my dad. And I remember in the mid-90s, my dad, who was, you know, a Depression-era kid and would do anything, did anything for Robert Hyland, who ran Camel X Radio in St. Louis. He said, you know, hey, Jack, I know you got home at 3 o'clock in the morning, but there's a mall opening at 7 a.m. We need you there. And he'd go do it. That's just the way he lived his life and, and worked his career way better, way harder than me. Um, but I was with him in the mid-90s. I'd say it's like 95, somewhere in there, where he gets a call from the executives at CBS Radio. And they say, hey, Jack, we're down in spring training. So this is in March. Meet us at the Tampa airport. Uh, we want to have a little meeting with you. And so he takes me with him. And we drive across the bridge from St. Pete to Tampa. This was at a time where you could still go into the gate area without a ticket. You could wait for people to get off a plane. We waited. Their plane landed from New York. They got off the plane. They grabbed my dad. They said, hey, come over here and talk to us for a minute. So they go over there. Their meeting was four minutes, and those guys walked to another gate and got on a flight back to New York. And my dad came to me, and I said, what was that? He said, they just tied a can to me. And I said, what does that mean? He goes, they just fired me. And I thought, wow, you've, you've given your whole life to CBS and CBS radio, and your goodbye was making you drive to the Tampa airport at least they did it in person, I guess. But they they meet with him and they go goodbye and and basic and that was it. And so we drove back. It was a quiet car ride car ride back. And and I know he was heartbroken, but he never let me never said that to me. And so now here we are with Al. He's got another year left. I think he's phenomenal. I still think he's great. There's a certain note that his voice hits in my ear that I want to sit and I want to watch that no matter what he's doing. My question is, having said all that about my dad's deal, how was he told that he was not doing this playoff game? And, and if, you, if you tell me he's known forever and this is the deal, this is the deal that he signed, well, that's one thing. But to find out publicly, and you're Al Michaels, and I'm happy for Noah. This has nothing to do with Noah Eagle. Ian Eagle, I think, is phenomenal. Uh, Noah's great and 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 up and coming star in this business. Take them out of it. How was he alerted to this? Was this in his deal? Did he know beforehand? Did he find out through social media or through you? And if the answer is he found out through you or through social media, then I think that sucks. So what I can tell you is this. So I did a column on Al in November. You know, just asking him when he thought he was going to hang it up. And kind of saying to him that I thought, you know, it would be smart to kind of have a retirement tour. I always think that, you know, this is a hard thing to discuss. But, you know, at the at this point in people's careers, um, it's better to be ahead a year early than a year late. That said, it's his business. Just like it was your dad's business. If he wants to go forever, that's Al's business. But, I, you know, I write a column so I can have yeah, my opinion absolutely. as well. And I told him that. And then I asked him about, I said, I heard that the playoff game's in limbo. And he said, he didn't, are you hearing something different than what I'm hearing? 
Now, I pride myself in knowing a lot of things. I find it hard to believe that I might have known that now didn't. Um, now, he said he didn't, but um, and that was on the record. And so I have a hard time believing that he didn't know about it and I did. Um, but so I think that was, you know, in the works. And I do think Al was trying to keep that game. Um, but, you know, NBC wanted to move on. And I guess my overall thing is, look, I've said this a number of times. I think Al's the best at, you know, on TV doing football. You know, you're probably up there with them for the all-time people. I didn't see Ray Scott and, you know, some of these other people. And some are always great, Enberg and et cetera, et cetera. But so I think he's the best. Let's just put it that way. I do. Hands Uh, down. I've told him that a hundred times. I've said it publicly. I do. So he's the best. Okay. But that doesn't, but if you stay around, you know, eventually they might tell you, you know what, we don't want to, we want to move on because, and and I'm not, I'm not, I agree with that. I've, I've seen it, lived it. My dad went on. This was in the mid nineties. He didn't, he didn't retire. He he passed away in 2002. So he had some more great years with the Cardinals. Um, I understand that. I I think it's more a question of how he found out. And I Mm -hmm. don't, if, if you are to take him at his word, and that's the way it went down. I think that's embarrassing and all-time talent and and yep. and and weak. But if he was aware and and he wasn't willing to admit that, another another situation altogether. So I I I will miss him because I I really enjoy watching him do games. Um, it's pleasant to me. I it it feels big and it feels pleasant to me. Um, and and so. You know, it is what it is. Time moves on. And and I found that out myself with baseball. I mean, I nobody's waiting around. They're still playing games. They're still doing World Series. And I'm there watching it, not watching it, whatever I'm doing. Nobody cares. And, and you know, the other thing that it brings up is this. Steve Horn, who you know, uh, who works with me and has worked with, worked with Costas and has worked with me for basically 30 years. He told me a long time ago. Network executives, you cannot treat them as if they're your friends. You work for them. They're your boss. They, the minute they find somebody better, younger, cheaper, they'll hire that somebody and you'll be looking for work. I was like, oh, yeah, but, you know, these guys are different. They're not your friends. And, and while you can be friendly with them and have a relationship with them, it's very true. And, and it, I think it applies here. So – there's all these things at play. The only part to me that kills me, if he found out about that publicly and didn't know, then I think that's bad business. Fair enough. All right, Joe, this is great. Um, we are going to consider you as a permanent host, um, you know, and you can let us know. And, you know, ESPN, uh, the rate, I'm aware of the rate that they pay. We pay a little less than that. Okay. But um, we can we can see if it can work. Now, in all seriousness, great stuff. Really appreciate it. Uh, you brought it, and especially a little under the weather. Uh, so really appreciate it, uh, you know, being on the podcast. Today. Absolutely. As always, uh, John Oren may have uh, left for Puck, but uh, the great A.C. Wyatt and Chris Mason, they put it all together. Uh, and so we always appreciate them on the Marshan and Oran Sports Media Podcast. And you can still like comment and follow. Uh, We appreciate it. I'm just thinking about their reaction. If it was the Marshan and Buck 
sports media podcast. I mean, the how much celebration would be going on in the Buck family? There's also. a lot right now. You can't hear it right now. Just, just listen for a minute. I'm just not, sustain. Listen to it. I'm not hearing anything. But the kids are going absolutely crazy. The dad is finally on this thing as yeah. as a quasi host. Um, there you go. I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet, but your kids are going to love it. God wanted me on this podcast because yesterday I couldn't have done this vocally. Um, so I feel good about that, the whole divine intervention aspect of it. Uh, and uh, secondly, it's been a joy. I don't want this job. I, I've, I've had a podcast. I'm good. So one and done. It's a lot more work. It's a lot more work than people think. Trust me. I know. And so thanks for always being fair. And uh, I'd say more, but I'm about to cough my head off. So I'm just going to stop talking now. All right, good. Thanks, man. See ya.